Welcome to Biohackers Live Show. My name is Teemu Arina. I'm your host today. And we are streaming live from the Biohacker Center studios here from Helsinki. And my guest today is my beloved co-author of the Biohackers Handbook, Jaakko Halmetoja. And Jaakko is a nature man for sure. He's been in the middle of nowhere basically all the previous months. And he's he has just landed here in the studios trying to get somehow adjusted to, you know, modern society. How are you doing, man? Yes. Doing great. At least we have some wood in uh, the traditional kuksa, as yes. we call it in Finland. And also some reindeer bone. You also have a pretty interesting necklace. Can you tell me the story of this? This is basically a nail of a bear. And... Can you show it a little bit like maybe? Yes, where is the camera? Yeah. There. It's pretty big. It's like, I don't know, three inches maybe, like seven centimeters. And um, I got this when I was really, really young, like, I don't know, four years old from my grandpa, who's not alive anymore. But he was kind of an Indiana Jones kind of a character, sailor all over the world and blah, blah, blah. And I think this is... Um, from the bear um, that was shot in Siberia. And I remember when we were writing the book and we had the kind of character for each, each chapter as an animal character, and I was write, reading about uh, the bear as a kind of archetypical character of the nature and all that, then I realized, like, wait, I, I remember when I was a kid that I had this nail of a bear and took, I think, almost two years and then my sister found it from somewhere but my parents told that when i was a kid i was scratching all the surfaces at our apartment and they took it away so now when i finally got it back i made a little necklace out of it right on are you still scratching your itch with it not yeah. <laughs> can you adjust maybe the microphone a little bit lower so sure. it's not in directly in your nose yes Yeah, cool. I know modern technology can be challenging sometimes. So that's what we are adjusting here. Yeah, absolutely. So when we met, um, I was really intrigued about your expertise on nutritional, nutritionally dense superfoods and also medicinal herbs and plants and how we can use those to, you know, help our health and uh, improve our performance and support our immune system and skin health and you name it, you know, longevity. So what got you interested in nutrition in the first place? I think the long story short is that I was an athlete um, for the first 20 years of my life. That was kind of the culmination point of everything that I did to get more performance in terms of sports. I was doing like... A, I think past seven years, like when I was 13 or something, I started really going deep into martial arts and that took off. And then, of course, I've been a lifelong like snowboarder, skateboarder, like street rat. So those were the two main areas that I was kind of involved in different, um, different cultures in a sense. But of course, when you grew up and 
you are on in your late teens, you start to figure out more stuff from nutrition side. And then I figure out, I actually, I think the culmination point was that I started to read more about like sports psychology and more of the mental stuff because I was just thinking of, that if I want to perform better, I need to understand how to work with my mind. Mm. And I was thinking that, well, I see all of this science and all that, but I want to actually know that those yogis and people who are actually training the mind like a professional athlete, not just theoretically, I want to learn from them. And basically um, going more into kind of alternative side of things also led me into more alternative um, stories about nutrition and performance and all that. And of course, my mindset was pretty black and white at that time. So I switched up from kind of classical bodybuilding diet of, you know, teenager into raw vegan diet for a few years. <laughs> so that was a pretty extreme and interesting shift, but taught me a lot. Wow. So you, you got, uh, you, you went straight on to become a raw vegan. I remember you told at some point that you were pretty much living only on juices. So you were just absorbing nutrients and not really digesting them. Mm. How, how did that go? What happened? Well, I, I think that I, especially on the, on the like first days, we, we just parched down a huge amount of salads. <laughs> so, so I wouldn't say that it was, uh, well, of course, there were parts where I would live days on liquid diet, but that wasn't kind of the, any type of a point point in there. But I think that if you're, um, your lifestyle is not that active in a sense that those days I was doing a lot of reading and a lot of like meditation and yoga and stuff of that nature, then the liquid part of your diet becomes much more interesting because it's very easy to focus on other things when you, there is no distress on your digestive system but um I would less, less sleepy and more elevated yeah yeah, yeah. and i think that um, it takes certain periods where you focus more on that but then came the periods that you just eat like three kilos of vegetables a day so <laughs> you need plenty of fiber also so i wouldn't say that that was any type of a kind of a goal or point but but i remember that there were pretty long periods periods of time where just cream juices and smoothies and elixirs and teas and all of that kind of jazz yeah. but yeah yeah i remember when we met uh, i came to your smoothie studio so you were running this one location in tampere mm-hmm. a couple of hours away from helsinki and you had a cafeteria for all kinds of raw cakes and superfoods and amazing elixirs and all that and down there on the basement you had this crazy laboratory actually this thing that is right behind of us like with all these jars of medicinal herbs and all that it's kind of inspired by what i saw there back in the day and uh, so that was like some you know crazy alchemists uh, hideout where you are trying to make i don't know some uh, elixir of youth pretty much at least you had all these pots around lying <laughs> and things like this this is a chaga mushroom like uh, boiling somewhere there bunch of other mushrooms uh and uh yeah can you can you talk a little bit about your connection specifically to this mushroom because you wrote a book about this so this is mm. the inonotus oblicus chaga 
Yeah, I think the first thing to be said is that I've been always fascinated about the fact that when you read about something and you get excited that, well, this has these amazing things in it. And, you know, at least for me, I want to kinesthetically also connect with the things. So I've always been fascinated to have a lot of these herbs or ingredients or flavors around me that then when I get like cognitively interested about something, I can go and actually pour a drink from that plant or something that I just got excited. So um, the idea behind, behind the lab was, was pretty much that. But this is probably one of the first things that kind of caught my attention really deeply. And, and it was actually, um, of course, first I was just reading about this from the medicinal literature that, well, there's actually quite a bit of research on these medicinal mushrooms that I've never heard about. And then this was something that's pretty easy to actually harvest from the forests in Finland, and you can just boil an infusion out of it. And then I wrote a blog post. I think it was 2009, 2010, something around that, and made a little video how you can harvest chaga from nature and all that. And at that time, basically all the feedback and information related to chaga was funneling to me. And mm. I was just like, oh man, people are actually getting some effects out of this because there were so many, um, especially a little older people who were just able to use email or something, <laughs> just reporting me how their certain uh, ailments got cured or got better or whatever. And I was just like fascinated that, Okay, I've been doing these green smoothies and all that, but I don't get the similar feedback from people. So then I geek into the science and the Russian literature and all that, and just been since fascinated about the whole mushroom kingdom. And I think this is kind of a gateway drug to <laughs> all of the other medicinal mushrooms yeah. for that. That's many been for you, also for me. Like uh, I, I have right here, I have um, uh, chaga extract, so I've been using this double or triple extract tinctures and uh, I've noticed definitely a benefit for immune system functions I've been sick like in like seriously in the last seven years like something occasionally coming and going but, but not like I used to be and um, I, I, I somehow I uh, relate that probably to you know my lifestyle obviously nowadays in terms of biohacking but uh, like copious uh, amounts of mushrooms mm -hmm. boiled and used and uh, thank you very much for that it's brought it brought me a lot of um, a lot of benefits for sure uh, and more time being uh, healthy and being able to do what I what I really enjoy and and one of my favorite ways to consume some of these mushrooms is as I've learned from you is as a tea that is the base for coffee mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, by the way, here is like uh, a picture. Uh, can we get this on screen from my screen? Yeah, thank you. So this is how it looks like as a growth on the tree. And uh, so basically, can you ex can you explain what's going on here? It's kind of some kind of a parasite of a bird's tree, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you can just kind of... Um claim it just to be a parasite, but it infects trees, um, mainly birch, but other, other trees also. 
And it's a little bit weird in a sense that um, the part that we are using, the part that I have in here also, um, this doesn't have any spores. So if you think about any other mushroom, you know, bottom mushrooms, chanterelles or rishi mushroom, they all have in this fruiting body, so this fleshy part that you typically eat. Yeah, or like this is like yeah. the fruiting body. Yeah, mm. so it has the, the spores. But in case of chaga, the mushroom itself lives inside of the tree and it produces this sterile conch on the other part of the, of the tree. And what I've learned over the years around different medicinal systems is pretty much this. In all parts of the world, when you want to fight, let's say, viruses, where I think that especially chaga tincture, the alcohol or fat-soluble um, fraction of chaga is especially good while traveling and all that, is that trees produce a lot stronger medicine than annual plants, you know, yeah, that you salads, whatever, vegetables. So, so trees were the original chemists that are producing the complex biochemistry that can help human beings to restore the balance in their bodies that they lost mm. in a modern lifestyle. Yeah, or just think about like how much different defense mechanisms you need to produce if you're living 100 years, 200 years, 500 years compared to an annual plant. So uh, chaga, for example, basically eats, eats the surface of the, or the, the protective layers of the tree. And that's how it gets the betulinic acid and, acid and all of these interesting chemicals in it. And um, this outer part, this chromogenic complex or highly um, pigmented layer, this pitch black layer, super high in different um, chemicals that are especially good against viruses as I said. They did a study in Russia where they compared 33 different strains of mushrooms and chaga had the highest antiviral activity and, and I think that that's one uh, takeaway thing from, from this conversation to chaga tincture as an antiviral agent. And um, it's also like this year or this summer, I've been three different occasions in Lapland, and it's a pretty pretty cool thing to have around when you're camping somewhere. You can just take a little piece out from the from the tree and boil it and have a nice chaga uh, tea or infusion, and you can mix it with coffee or anything else. So it's a really really easy to use. Also, mm. so what other kind of uh, gifts of nature are close to your heart that you find yourself, you know, reaching on a, not necessarily daily, but at least on a weekly basis when it comes to maybe something, something that is not very typical that people are consuming? Um, well, what came to my mind right now is that I kind of time traveled into a certain scenario where I was um, probably, it's been now a month and a half. I did a, I haven't probably even told you, but I went to um, solo hike on the Lapland wilderness. I took um, like a propeller plane from Kilipisjärvi, you know, out there <laughs> on the border of, of Norway. And um, I walked back for eight days alone. And it was a pretty epic trip. But one of the highlights there was 
there was this because it's very Arctic and very highland, so there is nothing grows there. You can see, of course, rhodiola grows all over the place, and this tincture is actually made from those rose roots or rhodiolas. So it gives a little perspective on this one. But mm. then I arrived to this very interesting spot. I was really exhausted. I was already done basically walking the whole day. And then I came to this super rocky place and I was just like, there is something happening right now. And I haven't seen any like green, green uh, plants anywhere for almost a week. And then I, I figure out that, well, what's there? And there is Angelica. So that came to my mind in a very, very different way because the whole surroundings of that place where they were growing was like straight from a moomin. Like <laughs> the, the whole world was very interesting. There was like a, this bright yellow moss growing all over the place. And these angelical plants were, were uh, growing there. So I started to eat those seeds and, and just to kind of sit with them in there. So those are the, I'd say probably three of my all-time top Nordic uh, or Lapland plants is, is Angelica, is Roliola, and is Chaga. Mm. And that gave me a different angle on, on that one because I've never seen it in, in so kind of a highly uh, contrasted environment. And it was, it was super epic. And I ate those and continued my, my walking, but Damn. that came to mind. Yeah, there is some questions from the chat. So Theo is asking, how do you prepare chaga coffee? So I guess I can give a quick mm -hmm. kind of um, primer to it. You just boil a cup of uh, strong chaga tea and you use that as a base to filter your coffee. That's pretty much the easiest way to do it. You can also put, uh, you know, pieces, uh, perhaps m maybe some extract powder in your coffee and, and use that uh, to mm. filter it out. And um, using something like spring water would be probably the most uh, epic way to go for it. Um, are there any brands you recommend for chaga tincture? Evelyn is asking. Uh, well, I think whether where you're living, it, you know, Harmonic Arts has a pretty solid ones in, in Canada. And you can, uh, of course, order those from the States. Here in Finland, we basically have Buddhism, probably one of the only ones in here. And uh, you'll find a good ones, but those, I basically, for myself, I made my own ones that are kind of a different in in a few other ways. So, but, so in terms of sourcing, would you go for something that's from Siberia, the northern part, uh, or would you go for? Doesn't China? matter that much because basically all the all the chaga that that's used in product comes from Siberia. That's pretty much it. You can find from. UK and you know small brands mm. that are much more artisan in a way and if you can that's fine but most of the stuff comes from Siberia it's wild and you know there is not that much difference in uh, terms of potency or all that and then of course you want to have both fractions the alcohol soluble and the water soluble yeah. there's also Raven is asking Raven Seeker is asking about like how do you make the most out of it so so basically you make a water extract a strong tea Mm -hmm. And you boil that several times until you don't get, you know, this color. And mm -hmm. then you use the remaining part to make a tincture. You leave it with alcohol like a couple of weeks. So is that the way? Correct. Yeah. yeah. 
That's a really good way. And of course, you don't get as strong extract as you'd get from commercial suppliers, but there's still, of course, it's much cheaper and it's pretty fun. And I like to have chaga tea around because the shelf life is incredible. I can leave the whole tea on the yeah, on a kettle for like a few weeks and doesn't go bad. Yeah, so it's super yeah. easy. To yeah, it tells a lot about its uh, antibacterial, antimicrobial, antifungal, antiviral properties and sure. antioxidants. It doesn't like go bad that easily. So it's yeah, it's one of the best nature's preservatives, also for raw cakes or something like this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there is also a question about. Um, okay, yeah. By the way, if you want to join this conversation, you you can just go to biohacker summit uh youtube channel there's a chat uh right there for this live stream and and you can ask your questions and we'll be happy to happy to answer anything that comes up um there is some questions from frederick frederick larson on dietary things so what is your opinion on instead of eating a couple of big meals per day to instead eat many mini meals during the day has there been any research on this i guess like if if you're living this kind of uh, liquid lifestyle, you are kind of sipping some kind of drink all the time. So wouldn't you be worried about like something like blood sugar, like fluctuation or something like this on a, on a snacking on a constant basis? Yeah, I think with, with snacking is the, the main problem is, is with your teeth, with your dental health. I, for me, mm. if, if I get any type of blood sugar That's fluctuations, me. of course, the whole herbs are to balance that out. So the whole point of sipping the yeah. chaga tea or reishi or all those are really good for stabilizing mm. your blood sugar. Yeah. So all the bitters, all of those are, are really good before the meals, after the meals to kind of balance the thing out. But I would be more concerned about the, the, the dental health. And, and this is what I see with many people that are snacking all the time. Mm -hmm. They are just bombarding their teeth with acids and, and don't, alkalize their mouth with yeah. any type of greens or whatever but uh, that would be something that i would be much more concerned in a sense because if you add in at least some type of a, a beverage that's um, stabilizing your blood sugar and it can be you know can be matcha it can be chaga it can be various types of nettle teas whatever um, that's a pretty handy tool at least for me if there is something that i just ate and I feel a little bit like do out there or whatever. Then I yeah. boil a strong tea of, of ginger and, you know, medicinal mushrooms and mm. it just goes away. So we are getting into autumn now, like mm. as, as the master kind of uh, a formulator of, of this, uh, you know, healing brews. What would you throw, let's say seasonally? this mm. time of the year into your chaga tea brew compared to what you would perhaps do more like in springtime. So is there like something that you would do this time of the year? Sure. And I was just yesterday thinking more and more, I'm going to give a lecture later today about bone broth. And um, I did a Google kind of deep dive into the trends that when people research more about bone broth and it was interesting to see it was only winter times when it peaked <laughs> so for the past i don't know five years or so so that's definitely something that's at this time of the year for me kind of uh, regenerative much more 
um, how would I put it? Kind of a grounded and, and, and building thing that I, I add in. So, that, so people are doing, let's say, bone broth and then they add something in it, kind of upgraded bone broth and all that. So for me, what I use, for example, to boil the, the bones in is a chaga tea. And then I add in, of course, the kind of thermogenic spices, fresh ginger, fresh turmeric. Mm. And that's pretty much the, the stable. Then depending on the, on the kind of angle that I want to take, I like to work a lot with nettles if I want to build bones and kind of this uh, structural thing. And that's common with whether it was hemp, whether it was horsetail, it was nettle. They're really kind of destructive um, fibrous materials that are really high in silicon and all of these other, other elements. But other than that, then there's the whole other route that I like to take and play around with, you know, cacao-based elixirs or yeah. chocolate types of things or kind of turmeric lattes and all that. But I, I, I'd say that definitely the bone broth thing comes in and I don't like to do that much ginger and, and turmeric during the summer days, but right now they are hardcore in every day. Yeah. Yeah, Don it is asking, why am I wearing blue light blocking glasses? Because it's daytime, and you're right. I don't need this. <laughs> but I've noticed that actually it makes it slightly more easier to concentrate when I'm giving a presentation or speaking in a studio like this with bright lights that we have right here. So it's kind of uh, taxing on your eyes in, in, in having these like artificial lights going on on your eyes, even at daytime. Plus, you look like Bono. There you go. I, think the I only... don't necessarily need this right now. So, but um, yeah, he, uh, Donit is also adding a point that I don't think it's healthy to get insulin and have mTOR activated all the time. He's referencing mm. basically to eating all the time. So yeah, sure. exactly. So you want to give a break to your system, and that's the why, why people would do something like intermittent fasting. And to to that Back point, to of the course, glasses. that's that's pretty much been my rhythm for almost a decade now. I don't eat breakfast. I eat pretty simple lunch, probably pretty late, might be even 4 p.m. or something. And then the big meal as a dinner. Yeah. And that's it. And if I train more and all that, probably I'd change it up a little bit. But I really like the feeling of not eating. Right. It's just like. Yeah. And you probably did that naturally when you were in nature. Uh, yeah. for months now and I know you've been doing a lot of hiking and fishing and uh, the kind of funny uh, trivia fact is that even though you're crazy about fishing actually you're allergic to fish so you like to stand there in the river for like 12 hours waiting for nothing and uh, and may, when you get a fish when you get the reward uh, you let it go and I'll bring it to my girlfriend Okay, but, so someone is someone yeah, might be enjoying yeah. it, but but uh, why why on earth someone who is allergic to fish starts fishing? Maybe there's something to be said about some type of a karmic reprogramming. <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> I think it's it boils down to moving water. I've been fascinated about water for a really long time, and for the past ten years also, I've been pretty advocating people to pay more attention on the on the quality of water and that's one of the things that I, I still don't see that much in the biohacker community 
can be that people are super picky about the mycotoxins in day to day or EMF protection. Yeah. And then after all, your coffee is like 98% of water. And then it's, I don't know, filtered LA tap water or something like that. Or otherwise, I'm not a huge fan of supporting like Nestle and their Pellegrino or whatever. So yeah. um, in Finland, when we have a lot of springs, that's mm. a little bit of effort. But it's a very different story when you have all of those dissolved gases and all of the goodies, the, the microbes in a water that's, that's wild. Like people understand that there is a difference between wild food and, you know, cultivated food. But you don't ever think about that with water. There is actually wild water. Mm. And then there's kind of commercial water. So after all of those experiences, you know, going around literally like hundreds of springs in Finland and trying to understand more about the hydrological cycles and all that, it ended up that, you know, rivers, <laughs> flowing water is is pretty pretty epic thing. Like that's been the highlight of the year. So many mornings when the sun rises and there's fog over the river and I'm just, you know, in the middle of the river, just throwing the fly and all yeah. that. So I think it boils down to the fact that it affects your mind very interestingly. When you're inside, like literally inside of the flowing water, it's almost impossible for me to try to think about something. I might do observations and kind of put it together a little bit, but it's it's impossible to start to kind of think about oh, what I'm going to do tomorrow. Mm. So it's very differently... Um, dynamic meditation all the time in a way that you dissolve your um, your basically uh, observations into the cycles of nature because with fishing it's all the time like these insects are now hatching in here and it affects so you really start to understand certain rhythms and right. whether it was with the diet that there are certain rhythms that are pretty good for the cyclical mm. things have been the thing why I've been so into fishing. Yeah, yeah. So you observe these these cycles, and uh, and there is a website called um, if we can get this on the screen. So uh, Finnish Spring Finder or uh, findaspring.com is also one yeah, of the fi- yeah. findaspring.com, and you can get get to this uh, this amazing uh, website where you can search for the natural springs. So if you are coming to biohacker summit and you want to get fresh spring water you can want to collect it yourself there's there is a there's a website here uh with with a map um where you can find all these different springs so if we look at dogmar here for example you can see where it's located uh in terms of latitude longitude and in some cases there might be information on the quality analysis also so so that's a cool website and um yeah, in terms of the structure of water, one one thing that people may want to take a look at is uh, uh, Dr. Gerald Pollack's laboratory and and his research into the fourth phase of water. Um, that's pretty deep stuff for sure when it comes to you know how water uh, works and operates, uh, which is still a mystery to science um, in terms of many many of those details. So, ho ho to water, man. So. This nice spring water that came to us. Thank you. Thanks. Oh. So, 
what else? Like you're been you've been in nature observing the cycles, getting familiar with mushrooms, fishing, water. Uh, what else? Well, I think the the interesting thing is also that I've spent a lot, a lot of time alone, because for years and of course this year we also had several trips with my best friends and we go out there hiking and fishing and all that. But it's a very different thing if you spend you know ten days in a silent retreat at the same time. So for me, that's that's something very different because. Um, you are part of nature and whenever we kind of say that we've lost the connection with the nature we're we've lost the connection with ourselves so i think that's a pretty good place to figure out who you are when you're influenced by a very different environment that kind of um shows things at least for me in a in a language or in a much more um experimental way in a sense that i might be just looking at the flower for an hour whatever it kind of it's it it's um much more pure or more easy to understand canvas compared to social aspects of things and all the human problems so i think that's the old idea of vision quest and and going into the nature and fasting and and getting more clear uh, on yourself and then reflecting it into the canvas of nature. So I think uh, very long periods of silence in nature have been uh, tremendous, tremendously calming. Like you said, I think last summer, just going to nature to do your work, it's similar output output of work. Your you know nervous system yeah. calmed down a lot. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. I I I really think nature is is medicine that brings us back in tune with the cycles within ourselves and balances microbial ecosystems and nervous system and kind of things get super in tune mm. and um, your sensitivity also increases there in some ways which is easily lost in a city environment for sure I like I, I have the metrics to show that I don't need to do much of these biohacks when I'm <laughs> when I'm actually living in nature so I get most of those benefits from there mm. um, uh, cold thermogenesis or sweat bathing, going to sauna and so nature walks and uh, eating, you know, all this fresh stuff from the ground and nibbling and getting connected. Um, so I'm fascinated about those. And one of my big, one of my big favorites uh, in terms of nature connection is Yarrow Willard, mm. uh, the master herbalist from Vancouver Island. And he's going to give the closing keynote at Biohacker Summit also on 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 that connection that we easily get you know we forget so if you want to optimize your day like in the end it's also like how you how you mm. connect with um nature and and don't let like city environments and modern mm. lifestyle fully consume you so i think that's very important to 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 kind of find ways to put into your daily daily or weekly schedule and you are you know, going and collecting spring water, it's kind of creating this routine where you get, you have to go to nature on a, mm -hmm. on a weekly basis. So these rituals that make you connect to nature, even if you don't have a reason for it, you, mm -hmm. you kind of invent the reason. And co collecting your own water is a pretty good reason, right? Yeah. And Some collecting mushrooms and, you know, all that to go there 
and, and be immersed in it. And yeah, last summer I went hiking again. I do the same. I like to do it alone. Like I, I wanna wanna go hiking uh, and and immerse myself in nature experiences and and somehow like um, yeah yeah being in isolation alone is is a way to really get in tune. So I think the best nature experience are always experienced like with nature and without distractions from any companions. Even. Mm. And I think one aspect is that now when I think about it, um, also, for example, in Lapland, when I'm out there, there is no Wi-Fi. If I broke my angle, there is nobody around in, you know, for days. So there's also an aspect of, of like literally you're in danger. And because of that, I think the sense of of kind of connection and, and uh, safety that you can kind of um, gather from nature is a very different thing. And I remember probably one of the scariest things that I've done my whole life is uh, well, last time we were at the at the Amazon rainforest, and you know, again out there, um, I took one night with my hammock and hiked several you know miles from my or from our camp and just set up the hammock there and they've seen from the cameras that there are actually jaguars pretty recently on those areas wow. and all the sounds of the nature and all that starts to play tricks on your mind so it's a very different thing to think about that and meditate in your room but actually to immerse in that like overload of your sensory system and yeah. then then get okay with it so I think there's mm. something to be said about our kind of trauma or disconnection mm -hmm. with, with people, but also uh, how important to calm us down is to actually we feel safe with our yeah. environment. And now I don't mean the city. City is also always full of stress and, and you can hack that, but, mm. but to be in a nature and still feel like you're not outsider there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You some you once said that we kind of are like astronauts when we go to a forest like we we yeah. we pick up all the gear and uh, we are going into nature as if we are not able to survive there a few hours. Uh, that's like from without... Daniel Vitalis. That's not my yeah. idea, but that's that's a great yeah. metaphor. Yeah, it's like a pretty that. good one. Yeah. If you can put on the screen um, if people are interested in taking a look at a pretty cool website about Finland and what kind of nature experience you can have. Finland was actually chosen as the top nature travel destination recently mm. in, in an international index that, that kind of measured different aspects of wildlife and natural parks and experiences and all that. So visit Finland.com. You can find pretty, pretty great like articles about Finland. And if you come to Barker Summit, it's one of the best times of the years also of, of the year to experience possibly northern lights, especially if you go to Lapland after the conference, like that would be a pretty, pretty good thing. And what of course, experiencing sauna and uh, the traditional Finnish sauna, sauna practices. And what about the offsite? Do we have something to say about that? Yeah, the offsite that we have for um, speakers and sponsors, that's, that's where we go into yeah, some of these uh, this kind of um, but it's not landscapes. available for it's it's not uh, available for everyone okay. because there's limited space. But if you become a sponsor of the summit, <laughs> you're welcome. But that's where we live outside, basically, mm. like uh, a night, and 
get fully immersed in in it. But yeah, that's a pretty good website. And I, there's, let's see if we can find if we search for Halmetoja if we can find something about you, man, here, because I think you you made some videos. No, but there's some videos somewhere on their YouTube channel, probably. If you go yeah. to YouTube, yeah, maybe there. There's some good videos there. So yeah, Finland is a pretty good place definitely for travel traveling and um as a travel destination hmm. let's see let's search for halmet no <laughs> why i know they made something i think it it's uh this is finland ah this is sorry i'm mixing up this is finland yeah it's a very i'm mixing thing. up not visit finland this is finland yeah this is finland here we i think I, I can just say one thing about mushrooms when i remember it but was just uh, listening a a um, podcast um, with um, Paul Stamets and Dave Asprey, and Asprey being always like mitochondria came from bacteria and bacteria bacteria, and Stamets' argument, who's a very fi- uh, famous mycologist, uh, basically pointed out that um, even though there are these um, proto bacteria that are kind of the first uh, single celled celled uh, life forms. The first multicellular organism was a mushroom or fungi. So the point being that uh, these are prebiotics. And if you, again, think about the, the word, it's pre-life, like becomes before probiotics. And the bacteria are using um, certain connections that are basically modulated by the fungi. So I think it's, it's something to be said that, yeah, there is a microbiome, but if you add in the mushroom prebiotics, it kind of um, gives intelligence. How should the bacteria work? That's basically the kind of a paraphrased argument for mushrooms also being a really important part, not just in an ecosystem where they do that, but inside of us. And that's one reason why I've been more and more focused on um, in all of the gut protocols to, to include additional mushrooms there because there's science and there's also a lot of anecdotes. For yeah, them. so you can go to YouTube and search for Finnish Forest, Foraging for Superfoods. So Finnish Forest, Foraging for Superfoods, and you can see like a pretty pretty good 17-minute video of Jaakko uh, browsing Finnish forests and getting immersed there and sharing some some of his, his, uh, his knowledge, especially about cold immersion, ice swimming and all that. So take a look at that. Um, let's see if we have some, some questions going on here. Uh, anyone in the chat? Yeah, there is some questions. Uh, let's see. Mm. Okay, there, there is like uh, some kind of debate going on on diets. So I, <laughs> I guess people got, got carried away about that. Um, uh, where, how did you learn all that knowledge about fishing and hunting? So is, is there some specific kind of thinkers or books hmm. or how do you kind of, what, what are your grandfathers when it comes to I knowledge about all of this? I think Thomas was certainly the biggest inspiration back in the days. The mycelium running in his books on just overall capacity of mushrooms to not that the, the subtitle of the book i think is is how mushrooms can save the world and i literally kind of understood that well 
there are a few implications of these things. So I think that was the kind of groundbreaking uh, thing for me. And um, then it boils down more of the experts here in Finland who've taught me things, how you can ferment chaga and work with this and how these, you know, mm. uh, root mushrooms work. And so they are basically scientists. But I think Paul Samets is, is a kind of golden start, standard to start look for mushrooms in, ge- uh, in general and medicinal mushrooms. Then, um, um, how would I say... Mm, probably in terms of, of fishing and hunting and all those. Well, of course, I have a background in in kind of a, a military special forces mm. group where we do a lot of different expedi- expeditions and, and all that. So that's been just hands-on learning on that. And then um, lately, I think I've, I've taken more courses on like sort of tribal things and... and uh, things how you can make fire for example using chaga this was interesting because the survival community figured mm-hmm. out several years ago that tell, if tell you, the story yeah yeah so one thing that when we talked if, about if you bring it up a little bit yeah. people can see it when we talked about um, chaga and coffee the interesting thing is that uh, during the world wars in finland we used this as a substitute for coffee and that's mainly because of the vanillic acid and certain uh, flavors that kind of mimic um, coffee flavor and of course the color but the history goes much much further with we and uh, keeping fire with these types of mushrooms so chaga and uh, fomes fomentarius or uh, tinder mushroom these are both very flammable so this relates to coffee because chaga is super high in uh, alkaline minerals like you know potassium and uh, Uh, cesium and now I'm not talking about the radioactive isotopes but just cesium as alkaline mineral so this dissolved into the chaga infusion or tea and if you use that as a base for your coffee it kind of neutralizes it also to make it more uh, comfortable for your stomach for example but point being that cesium and, and those types of minerals are really flammable so if you put some Uh, <laughs> stick basically over a chaga. You can drill uh, so much friction there that you can start a fire by using using chaga mushroom, or uh, move fire. So this is the history that chaga especially was used to keep a little, uh, put a little tinder inside of it, and then mm. move the fire to the other camp or so on. So I think that we've used these at least what science says from the days of let's see the iceman 5300 years ago he was carrying these probably for damn um, using so, fire so, so otzi the iceman already used uh, not, medicinal... not chaga but, but the other. used polypore mushrooms yeah. yeah to keep fire that's pretty amazing um, if you want to reconnect with your ancestors you know learn to use mushrooms to keep but fire but I, I, i'd say a good good resource for uh, those types of things is is danielvitalis.com i think he had an yeah. awesome podcast on more kind of nature-based ideas on on also mm. biohacking yeah yeah i think we got the video working did we get i want to show like uh something about ice swimming i know you're a big ice swimmer so so let's see do we get this working now when you dip into the water and come out you're just like oh, all good so let's see what happens next 
So in biohacking community all over the world, there is a big fuzz about cold. How does cryotherapy or cold showers, ice dipping actually affect your body? And why it's so popular in this group of people? Well, first, in cybernetics, there is this term of, of feedback loops. So if you call the cold water, it's a perfect feedback loop for your breathing. And if you actually want to um, kind of train your nervous system, the breathing exercises, that's the whole thing. So cold, that type of challenging environment, challenges ourselves to actually control our breathing better. Another thing is, of course, you feel pretty amazing when you come out of the cold shower or cryo chamber or the ice bath. And that's because there's so many chemicals going on mainly the rush of endogenous, so the, the chemicals that body produces itself, endogenous morphines, endorphins. So that, those are really good for lowering inflammation, pain relief, just the kind of a bliss that you get after the cold. And then, of course, there is an increase of noradrenaline, dopamine, many of these kind of single molecules that kind of give you, give you this more sharp, and more kind of a stable crown to stand on. And here in Finland, in the land of a thousand lakes, that's a privilege. We have cold lakes everywhere, and the long winter actually is an asset. Whether it was a cryotherapy, whether it was dipping in the ice, cold water, or cold showers, your body benefits a lot when you give this little shock to it the so-called hormetic stressor. And cold activates many of the super beneficial chemical bursts, for example, called endorphins, called noradrenaline, that also makes your tissues more metabolically active in the future. So we kind of induce this brown adipose tissue. The health benefits are tremendous. And for example, for me, as a very active person, my mind starts to wander around and sometimes cold just changes my physiological state in a way that's kind of a emotional reset button. I come from here and everything is just good. Everything is just good, man. Yeah, that turned out stop. to be much better than I... I thought we... yeah it was it was pretty good uh yeah. so uh if people want to really experience uh, some of these things uh best time definitely for cold immersion is is november first and second in helsinki finland we have at the conference we have actually what we call the thermogenic spa so we have cold immersion um going on at the conference we have cryo chambers we have cryo masks infrared cabins hot tubs you know all that um and also some of the top experts in in uh temperature alteration breeding techniques Wim Hof method guiding you how you can do all of that it's, it's a pretty good learning experience we have also this thing called the optimized day workshop it's coming out also on the website soon so you can sign up for it it's it's on wednesday it's a day um, a couple of days before the conference and me and Jaakko and uh, 
Dr. Sobiarvi and Seam Lund are going to be there. Uh, and Yarrow Willard also. It's pretty epic day going to be like we are optimizing the day from the moment when you wake up to the moment when you go to sleep. And one of the things we have there is direct access to a lake and sea. Uh, sorry, it's a sea actually. And also we have the traditional Finnish sauna and all that. So it's it's going to be a really interesting day for everyone who wants to immerse themselves in all these ancient techniques of biohacking. So you're most welcome for that. Um, so I know that you need to go for another lecture here. So one thing that I want to ask you is like, in, in terms of the knowledge that you're going to be sharing at the Biohacker Summit, like what are the aspects that you would love to kind of uh, focus on in uh, our conversation when we are uh, launching the biohackers handbook like if we are talking about nutrition like what what can people perhaps expect um, when we share uh, our research and uh, interest in in the nutritional aspects of uh, of this so there's all these diets but mm. but it's what is our approach i think the the point is to summarize why there is now a big fuss about you know, ketogenic diet and why paleo movement got as big as it got and all that. So I think um, to summarize the best aspects of all of those diet world, worlds, but also to probably change the attitude or, or way to look at nutrition a little bit, because I'm not into diets. Exactly. I, I think that's, a, that's a, a framing that's very helpful for, I'd say, most of the people. But still the kind of meta model of how exactly. you think or how you approach something should be um, a bit different. Or should is a yeah. strong word. But yeah, people get pretty yeah. enthusiastic about, you know, being ketogenic or, or all yeah. vegan. And you've done all of those. Yeah, yeah. And and you, you learn a lot from those. Paleo yeah. and all that. And in the end, uh, the end result of that learning experience is that there's some, some deeper principles that mm. are almost universal to all diets that you're going to go for. Mm. For example perhaps nutrient density or the quality of the ingredients. And you can't go wrong by going for those. And, and then there's the diversity aspect also, if you want to balance sure. your diet. So you're not just eating over and over again, avocado and steak, but maybe mm. like going for organ meats and uh, other, other, uh, other things also. So, mm. uh, yeah, so, so that's kind of one of our contributions to this diet discussion is more about looking at food and nutrition as a strategy strategy for different situations and depending on what you're doing you can then use, use your knowledge but you have to walk the talk so definitely trying yeah. all these diets is is a way to learn what they do like what does it mean when you get into a nutritional ketosis it's like if, if you think about exercise if you've done different types of exercises your whole life all types of athletics and all that then you can basically train anywhere do anything but that's same with nutrition if you're just learning to play tennis <laughs> and you go to Iceland, that's probably not that helpful. Yeah. So the point being that then it's much more um, auto-regulatory system. You can go anywhere, do anything, and you understand certain principles that are always affected by social phenomenon, environment, all of those. So a widen the scale probably a little bit. That That's the goal, I think. That's pretty good. I, I think that's where we can where we can end this conversation and uh, yeah people are most welcome to biker summit we still have this week and one day more we have reduced ticket price 
on the website. If you can't join in person, I can hardly recommend the live streaming package. It's high definition, multiple cameras of all those uh, stages. And we have also interviews. Uh, there's going to be a second stream of all the speakers um, will be interviewed also um, uh, for another stream. So so that's a pretty good like collection that you can get into if you just go to the website bikersummit.com. Now with that, thank you very much, Siako, for coming straight from the wilderness, <laughs> months of being disconnected from technology. It and, was fun. And, and it's, it's cool to see that you're still kind of a human being and not mm. turned into some kind of, uh, I don't know, some kind of elf yeah. or, or a little grooming and yeah, or some kind of lapish, lapis yeah. uh, herder. And of course, I think that you also appreciate a lot more our modern technology when you reflect it in an environment when there is nothing. Absolutely. So I think that's definitely one of the benefits also yeah. of, of nature. You appreciate things more. Absolutely. So remember, nature was the first technology and learn to use it well and you will live a healthy life also in context of modern technology thank you very much for this thank see you. you next time man Thank you.